0: Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for coming to Resurrection uh, City Church. Um, it's good to see uh, everyone here this morning and glad that um, you can be with us on this beautiful fall day. Um, we have been um, working through the book of Daniel. We took a bit of a break last week for our... Uh, for our uh, fall kickoff, but we're going to be jumping right back into the book of Daniel today and then um, in that book for the next uh, couple months or so. So um, today we're going to be talking about Daniel 30, or Daniel 3, uh, verse 1 to verse 30. Um, There are not 30 chapters in the book of Daniel, don't worry, we would be in Daniel for a very long time. If there were thirty uh, chapters in it, um, so just a bit of a recap, maybe for those of you who um, you know we haven't talked about in a few weeks or you missed a few of the sermons or whatever, just a bit of a recap on the book of daniel so far so so Daniel is a book about what it looks like to for, to live in exile. it 's written to a specific group of people, the Israelites. Who are in a in a time of exile, um, exiled from their land. They've been taken out of their land and are now uh, living in the land of Babylon. Babylon has taken uh, over Israel, and they live under the under the control of this great uh, empire, Babylon, the greatest empire in the world um, at this time. And so, in chapter one, we talked about how um, the, the 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 goal of the Christian or the goal of of the the follower of God. In this place of exile, in this place that is, is not our home, in this place that is, is, is foreign ground to us in a sense. Because as Christians, we 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 also are, are citizens of another place, even though we we occupy the, the, the land or the city that we live in. We our primary citizenship lies somewhere else. Um the, the proper way for us to live in, in, in the midst of that, in Daniel 1, we learned was to respect the city we're in, and work for its good, all the while remaining distinct. And then in chapter 2, we talked about remaining distinct, but then how our worship of, of God and how our being set apart for God um, allows us to actually have, find excellence in the places that we're at, excellence for the, for the goal of blessing the city uh, that we are in. That, that's our goal, and that's what we, what we want to do. Now, everything that has happened so far in the book of of Daniel has been really happy, right? Everything has worked out good. It's it's basically been a Disney movie so far. Um, But in this chapter, we're going to talk about what happens when things don't go so well. We're going to talk about what happens when there's actually some opposition uh, to us in in the space we're in. Because we're going to see, actually not Daniel, but his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, come up against some severe uh, opposition as they try to live out this vision, live out this model that we have seen uh, form in the book of Daniel so far. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how to live in the midst of, of opposition, how to follow God, how to love him and worship him um, when we ourselves are in a place of, of opposition as well. All right, so let's, let's jump in and start working our way through the text. Daniel 3, starting in verse 1, now King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. All right. Let's let's just pause here and try to like figure out what's actually going on here. Let's try to kind of set the stage, figure out some of the context. Now, we don't know what the statue is of. A lot of times, we we've we've thought it's maybe a giant uh, statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself, just in, made in his likeness. It for sure could be. Um, the text doesn't actually say. It just says there's a giant golden statue. Um, it, it, it's probably in some way. Uh, Personal to Nebuchadnezzar, because we're going to find out he gets really offended when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow down to it, all right? So in some way, his identity, his personality is tied up into this statue in some way, and it's massive, all right? But what we need to understand of what's going on here is that this is like a national celebration. So so Nebuchadnezzar is inviting out the... um, the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the advisors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates. Now, these are all just official government positions, right? Members of of uh, you know, just of the bureaucracy, people who were out in the different provinces and oversaw territories of Babylon, um, people who made the trains run on time, um, people who made the roads get fixed, the the city engineers were you know this is this is the the group of people that that Nebuchadnezzar is bringing out um, and, and and causing to to kind of sit and be a part of this big uh, national situation, and so. Um, They're summoned out, and I'm guessing that they're seeing Nebuchadnezzar's military might as they're coming, and there's this goal, probably uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's um, part, to instill one of two things within the people who come, Um, fear or pride, right? Pride in our nation, we are amazing, look at us, we're Babylon, who dares compete with us, or fear, like fear. If we thought about, you know, the rebelling or trying to usurp power or something like that from Nebuchadnezzar, like this is what we're going up against, Um, and and so like, if you want to think about like a, a parallel today. Um, about a year ago, North Korea—you m- you may have seen this—it was—it was kind of a big deal in the news here as well. North Korea had this parade where they celebrated their 70th anniversary, and and there were tanks and soldiers who are like high step marching through, and missiles are being brought through, and it's just like this overwhelming show of the military might of North Korea, and it's all a celebration—not not just of North Korea, but specifically of Kim Jong Un and his family, the family that's been in Charge of, of North Korea for as long as, it, as it's existed. All right, so this, 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 this celebration of the nation and the leader that's supposed to instill fear or pride in the hearts of the people, um, this, this swelling um, joy for the, the country that I live in, that's kind of how we should see what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. And so, what matters for us and how we're understanding um, the scene here is that everyone is supposed to bow down and show allegiance to this statue, but the statue represents the state, and the leader of the state, and the state's gods, and their values, all right, so what Nebuchadnezzar is calling people to, is this allegiance to the state of Babylon, to the nation of Babylon, and to him, in particular, as the leader of the nation, so it's you know, it's a, it's a religious thing, right? Because the worship of the gods is tied up in, in the uh, administration of the nation. We've seen how, how much the, the, the going to the gods is a part of policy and decision-making within the government because Nebuchadnezzar is, is using these magicians and diviners to help him make state decisions, right? But it's a very political thing, right? And we, we, sh- we should almost see it as like a very nationalistic thing, Right? Um, the state mixes kind of with this transcendence. It's not just a group of people who are coming together. It's not just a government. There's actually something more to it, some greater allegiance that, that's being called to it. You know, think of Nazi Germany, right? Think of, think of the way in which the, the state... Um, becomes this like this like apocalyptic cosmic um, force in and of itself, and people are declaring allegiance to that that 's what Hitler is trying to do in the hearts of the German people. Something similar is going on here, and so this this is like this state religion that Nebuchadnezzar is engaging in, which is what we call nationalism, and this is not you know this is not really like I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's just worth you know, talking a little bit about that, just for a second here, because nationalism is actually something we're dealing a lot with all across the globe here, right? It's sweeping across different nations. We're seeing it um, take place here in America as well, and and just the critique here we're going to see is that we as Christians, or as pe- the people of God, worshipers of God, should not be giving... A, ultimate allegiance to any country or nation above God himself, even when we feel this pressure or we feel this pride to do it, to look down on, on other nations, um, to be very patriotic or whatever we call it. This is like a slight critique of that, I think, in this passage. And we should, we should see it, we, sh- we should recognize it, and we should, we should uh, you know, take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's unwillingness to bow to the state as a, as a way to follow God as well. All right? All right, so, we, we kinda I wanted to, to just spend a little time talking about that, but let's keep going with the passage here. Let's see actually what plays out and, and, and kind of the, the drama of the passage itself. Daniel 3, um, starting in verse 8 here now. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music might fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember, we met them in chapter one. They're friends of Daniel. They're they're part of the same group that Daniel has 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 been. they they they're uh they're part of. Probably the, the the priestly line or the, the, the kingly line of Israel. They've been brought to uh, Babylon and they've been kind of they're trying to indoctrinate them into kind of the worship and the and the and the, the life of, of of Babylon as a way to kind of pacify Israel. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like Daniel. They're serving in government positions. Um uh, in Babylon, and that's why they're at this place, right? Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar calls all these, you know, government positions forward to this great event. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I don't know where Daniel's at, but presumably he would have been at this too, um, they're all here for that reason, all right? So, so the astrologers are saying, this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this manner. matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. Oh, hold on. Oh, I don't have the last one in here. Oh, no, you, you. Sorry. Okay, I'm confused. You guys are seeing the right thing here. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's com- command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. All right, so I want us to break this down. I read it all uh, uh, beforehand so you know what happens, and I want us to kind of break down what's happening here and the relevance for us today. And in order for us to really do that, we have to talk about... Um, an issue that we come up against quite a bit in our society because we live in a very diverse place and that's the issue of pluralism right certainly Shadrach Meshach and Abednego live in a pluralistic society as well they do not live in Israel where everyone worships the same god right they live in Babylon where there is worship of of at least two different gods going on here and they have to ask the question of what do we do with this We have the same question today as well. We live in a society with lots of different worldviews, lots of different um, religions, and we're asking ourselves the question, what do we do with this stuff? So we were going to always have to deal with this in the book of Daniel, and so now seems as good a time as any to me to do it. Now, here's how we deal with pluralism today, typically. This is kind of the main way we talk about what we do with the presence of different beliefs in the same place. And let's, let's put it in terms of the passage here. We can imagine Nebuchadnezzar saying to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all right, again, this is the modern way he might say it, he's like, hey, have some respect for my religion, right? Um, and, and please quit being so offensive and just bow down and worship my God. That would make me feel much better, but you're actually offending me. Okay? And so like, the worst thing that you could be doing is offending me by not bowing down and worshiping my idol here or something. That's kind of how we would talk about it today, and we would, we would say we should have the view of tolerance that says, let's just um, let, let's not offend anybody. The worst thing we could do here is actually offend someone by not um, completely validating their belief structure or whatever, right? That's kind of the way that we, we would talk about this. Now, obviously, Shattering, Meshach, and Abednego don't respond in this way. So let's talk just a little bit about this idea of tolerance, right? This is the dominant way that we deal with pluralism in our society. And I think it's worth us kind of just talking about it and and, and saying, like, there's a lot of good stuff in this notion, right? There's a lot of overlap that I think we should have as Christians, but we should also talk about some of the ways in which it's kind of the emperor without clothes. Because by its own definition, it's actually can be very intolerant system, too, all right? Um, I came across this uh, through a friend, I came across this, it was like an opinion blurb in a newspaper, I don't know how old it was, but it was someone who was writing in to the paper and kind of saying, hey, listen, the world would be so much better if all these different people who had different beliefs about different things would just you know, celebrate those in the privacy of their own home and quit enforcing them on everybody else, right? Because that's actually the basic problem in the world is people who have strong beliefs who go and talk about those strong beliefs and and push them on everybody else. Right? So the world would be much better if people just didn't talk about their faith in public. They, they, they can do whatever they want in, their, in, the, in the privacy of their own home, but, but leave that there. And when you come on the public, do not talk about your faith as if there's any sort of absoluteness to it. Do not talk about it as if you have some exclusive claim on how to relate to God or the gods or um, you have some answer um, for the way that the world is. Right? Don't deal in absolutes. It would be better for everybody else. In fact, you just are going to cause more problems if you go do that. And the reason is, is, we just don't, we just can't know for sure. We can't know for sure which religion is right, and so this is the way that we should go about doing it. So the answer in this opinion blurb, and this is like, you know, this is this is a pretty common way for a lot of people to talk about the way that different, you know, belief systems should work together. Is for is that the problem of everyone pushing their beliefs on others should be solved by Everybody living according to my belief, <laughs> that, that what we just can't know for sure and so that you should be quiet and not talk about what you believe in, in public or, or, or let that strong belief be shown, right? That's the answer for everybody. And you kind of see like the irony of that, right? You kind of see the way in which it in itself is, is not tolerant by its own definition, right? Um, and so, so what this belief actually is, is something called deism, all right, so so it's not like it's a it's a view from nowhere. It's actually a view coming from somewhere, and that belief is called deism. Most people who would say this have no, maybe they don't even know what deism is, but it's actually like a pretty well defined and and described worldview. It's actually not a new thing either. It's quite old. The early church was actually dealing with a form of deism called Epicureanism, and we were in Acts 17 last week where. Paul is hanging out with some of these different philosophers, the Stoics and the Epicureans. So, Paul is very um, aware of this worldview, and um, it's not a new thing whatsoever. Christians have had to deal with it for for many times. It kind of of was rediscovered around the time of the Enlightenment, and it's kind of been a really dominant way of looking at the world for many people since then, including many of our founders of our country, actually, are also deists, right? Um, Now, here's what deism is. It says... Um, we don't know if God or the gods exist. We don't know, right? And if they do, they're far away. They're kind of removed from our lives. They don't particularly care what's going on, right? And a lot of times, the problem of evil, the the, 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 the evidence of evil in the world and suffering and pain is one of the main um, pieces of evidence of this, right? And so because we just don't know if they're there, let's just go live our lives as if they're not. Let's go... Um, Let's go have some fun on the way, maybe. We'll make it up as we go. We're not going to look to the presence of some gods to tell us what to do because they don't actually care about us even if they're there, and let's figure it out on our own. Let's, the, the worst thing we could do is kind of go back and, and live according to some stodgy, you know, unfun ethics, and let's kind of figure it out on our own. In fact, if the gods do exist, they probably would like that anyway. That probably be their, their, um, That's probably what they would want us to do is to figure it out on our own. Now, the, 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 the answer to pluralism in our culture here today, and again, this is kind of the irony of it, is actually to call everyone to kind of bow down to the statue of deism. Everyone needs to live this way, right? No matter what it is you actually believe, bow down and believe this, and that will make everything better. Just do that, and you Christians will, will be better off. And it claims to know the answer of how we should relate to God and the other gods um, that it says can't be known, right? Again, this is kind of the irony of it, but this is kind of what we're called to bow down to. I'm pretty sure if I went up to a Muslim friend and I said, hey, um, so apparently, like, what both of us believe is, is is equal in its unknowability, right? There's probably no truth to it, and so we're supposed to be nice to each other. I'm pretty sure, like, that Muslim would be just as offended as me, Right? <laughs> But that's kind of how we're told we need to relate to each other in the society, is by, is by believing that. Like, every religion or worldview is equally invalid, and so the only valid one is to believe um, that we all have to bow down to this view of deism, right? Okay? And so... Opposition a lot of times for us comes when we're not willing to bow down to that that's kind of where a lot of our opposition comes from so there's kind of like kind of the irony of it, and it's good to kind of understand the society we live in and to look at one of these responses to pluralism and say, you know there's some overlap here with what we believe, but um, but we have a better way to respond towards towards pluralism as Christians, all right? And so let's get back to that question of how do we respond to the presence of other faiths in our society. And that's our first application point. What we do in relating to other worldviews and other beliefs is don't seek out opposition, but instead seek peace. But not because we don't think that there's anything to what we believe, right? And we need to apologize for it, or we need to be you know, humble or something, but because we do believe that our religion is true, and at the very heart of what we believe is peace. It's love, right? It's turning the other cheek. It's, it's what Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody, right? We, we've seen this in the book of Daniel so far here, and we haven't really put it in terms like this, but Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a group of people who are trying to bless the city they're in because of their belief in Yahweh, right? They're working for their good. They don't view it as the enemy. They're seeking to bless it. They're seeking to bring out the best in the place that they live and to do it with excellence and then attribute that excellence to God, right? So everything we need to live at peace and and to love others is at the very heart of our religion. It's not in giving up what we believe. It's actually by pushing in and pressing in and believing it even more so. Everything we need is right there. Now, this is not the, this is not Minnesota nice either, right? I think we're, we're known for being so, so nice here in Minnesota, but like a lot of times what that is is kind of just keeping people at an arm's length, right? So we don't have to actually get to know them or do anything for them. And we're really pleasant, but like actually the, 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 the pleasantries is kind of a wall, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, Right. This, this isn't that, it's actually like pushing beyond that and seeking to love. It, it, it fights um, for good and for peace. It doesn't, we're not settling for this kind of lazy, shallow idea of tolerance where we just say, yeah, you do whatever you want and I don't really care and it's not my place to, to speak up and tell you what I believe or, or to, to actually try to show you love right, to, to actually exercise my religion uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the space that we live. Actually, my religion calls me to go and love you and to show you peace and to care for you and to, to work for your good and work for justice, right? That's what my religion believes, and so I'm going to go do that, and that's going to bring out the best in the whole society. Now, um, when we do this, right, the, the, despite the fact that we're not seeking opposition out, and this is what you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not seeking opposition out, right? They're not picketing, you know, this the statue. They're not out there with 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 signs, and they're not out there saying like, this thing isn't real, and and this is stupid, and you guys are believing in a, in falsehoods. They're not doing that. They get brought to Nebuchadnezzar by these other officials in the government, right? And so so they have to deal with opposition, even though they're not seeking it out. So we kind of got to talk about what it looks like um, for us as Christians to follow God, to worship him, to live out our religion um, when opposition finds us, all right? And, and their answer here is, is incredible. I think that this, pa- this part of the passage right here, verses 16 to 18, is the center of the whole passage. This should be our biggest takeaway, okay? Because we're going to read this naturally a lot of times as the deliverance is like the, the point of the passage. If we just follow God, then he'll save us from anything bad that might happen to us. That's not, that's not the point of the story. I think this is, this is the center. This is, the, this is the, the, the takeaway that we should have from the passage is actually found right here. And this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. And they jump ahead in verse 18 um, and, and saying that we believe our God, this is the, the God that we we do f- believe that we need to be able to defend ourselves to... if He can deliver us, but if and if He doesn't, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up, okay? Even if we aren't delivered by our God, we are still going to worship Him anyway. It's, it's this sort of, it's this sort of um, view that God is worth being worshipped even in the times where we find ourselves in the midst of a flaming furnace or even in the times when we aren't delivered. Now, make no mistake, we will be delivered many times from opposition, or from suffering, or from hardship, and actually, in, in Daniel chapter 6, I want to talk more specifically just about, about suffering and hardship and, and pain, because Daniel ends up in a lion's den there, and, and I don't want to preach the same sermon over again, right? So, we're going to talk more generally about suffering and hardship and what we do as Christians, okay? But, but regardless, we will be delivered many times. Our God will look out for us, but... Even when he doesn't, he is still worth worshiping no matter what. No matter what the circumstances are, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are challenging us to say no matter what those circumstances are, our God is worth being worshiped. This is not a transactional faith. This is not a give me happiness or, or, or good, good, good stuff, right? Answer all my prayers and then I'll follow you. This is like you are so great and, and so worth following that even in the hard times, even in the hard times, you know, I will follow you. I will, I will allow myself to, to even go into a flaming furnace here. And this view is actually proved right, right? But it's not in their deliverance. So again, we want to look at the deliverance as the place where they're vindicated, right? They're like, they wagered on God and God, you know, was pleased with their wager and so he, he set them free from the furnace. Their vindication actually doesn't come there, I would submit. It comes somewhere else, all right? Now, where, where could that be? Well imagine with me that um that uh that um that they are they are walking into that fiery furnace they are um on their way t- to walking towards there and they um Are thinking the closer they get to that furnace, like, well, if God was going to deliver us, He probably would have done it by now, right? And so, they were like, when they said that, they were like, I'm pretty sure Nebuchadnezzar, you know, something's going to happen before we get in that furnace where our God will deliver us. But that's that's not what happened. So the closer they're getting to this to this furnace, the closer they are they are believing that they might actually end up in that thing and they might actually have to die. Like they might actually have to to um, to do what they said that they were they were willing to do. And they, they start to they start to um accept that, right? And they continue to walk, they continue to not uh fight back, right? They continue to, to head towards that furnace and, and then eventually they they see those those other people who were right standing next to the furnace and it was so hot that apparently they all died, and they're like, Are we even gonna make it to this furnace before we die? Right? But they keep going and they end up in the furnace and they look around and they're like, Hey, we are not burning up right now. And as they're looking around to make sure they're like you know, hey, Meshach, you're still there, and Abednego, you're still there, they see a fourth person, right? And in that moment, I submit, they, that's where their vindication comes, because um, they know that their God is not just a God who, who delivers them or keeps them from bad things happening, but he's actually a God who enters into the flames of the furnace and takes on the fire with them. That's their God. And they know that that's the God that they worship. And how much better of a God is that to worship than the God um, of, 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 Babylon, of Babylon, the God that they were challenged to, uh, to bow to? Now, um, throughout Christian history... Uh, many Christians have, have theorized, right, and it's all that, it's all fear. We don't know for sure, right, because the passage doesn't tell us, but they've, they have guessed that that fourth person inside that, that place, that furnace, is actually Jesus himself showing up. We would call that a Christophany. That's the, the big technical word that people use, but Jesus himself is the one that's sitting in there. Now, the passage says nothing to us to make us think that that might be the case, but I think that it makes a lot of sense and the reason why it does is because when we actually look at who Jesus is, we see that that is in his very nature. That's the thing that, that he that, that is at the center of who he is, right? Because when we, look at, um, when we look at Jesus, we know we're seeing God, right? That's what we as Christians believe, the clearest way that we know who God is by looking at Jesus. And we look at who Jesus is, the thing we think of is the cross. When we think of, so when we think of who God is... He is Jesus, and when we think of who Jesus is, he is the one who allows himself to be nailed to the cross on our behalf, to take on the the flames of the furnace, the the heat, the the uh, death-bringing fire of the furnace on our behalf, a God who enters into it on our behalf. That's what the cross is about, is a God who, who stoops down to our level and says, I will take on the curse on behalf of my people. And so it makes perfect sense that it would be Jesus in there with them because that is at the very heart of who God is. And that is the God that we worship. That is the God that we as Christians are staying faithful to in the midst of opposition or challenge is the, is the God who, who bears down and enters into our curse for us. All right, And so, as we go out, wherever we're at, whether we're in, we're in chapters 1 and 2 of Daniel, where things are going well, where, where people are, are responding well to us as we try to, to follow Jesus, or in times where we, we see opposition coming, we can know that our God is worth worshiping and saying faithful to because he is the God who enters into whatever comes at us and loves us regardless and, and, and keeps us safe regardless, even if it comes through death. So we're going to uh, enter into a time of worship, and, and, and as we always do, we're going to be taking communion where we remember the Christ who is crucified on the cross, who entered into the curse for us, entered into the, the fiery furnace of, of sin and death on our behalf to take it on himself to keep us uh, w- without a singe, a hair singed on us, right, from the curse of death that, that is meant for us. We, we remember that every Sunday by taking communion. So I'm going to invite you all to come forward, to take communion, to enter into a time of worship. And if, and, and, and we are starting, I've been uh, talking about this last week, so we're, we're starting prayer each week. So if you would like prayer for anything at all, anything at all that, that, that maybe it comes from the sermon, maybe it's something that you just is wearing on you that you brought in uh, this, this Sunday morning, you, you brought it in with you to church, um, and you just need some prayer about that, Rachel's gonna be in the back praying for you. So you can go and she'll pray for you w- with anything that you need. All right, let's, let's enter into that time of worship now as we worship the God who enters into uh, the fiery furnace on our behalf. Lord, we, we thank you that you are, are not a God who... Um, who, who is far away, who's detached from what is going on in our lives, who, 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 who is not um, leaving us to live on our own, even though that is what so many of us would like to do, is to, is to live in a world without, without you, <laughs> Lord, all the while rejecting the fact that you, you don't just sit in a lofty white castle, but you come down and you enter into into our pain and our suffering and our hurt and, our, and the curse for us, God. I pray that that worship would flow out of us into all the places that we're at and that you would give us boldness to do that, to worship you, um, even in times of opposition, Lord. I pray that you would, you would bless us as we go forth this week. In Jesus' name, amen.